Welcome back to the Be Well by Kelly podcast. You guys, I am so excited for today's guest, Bubba Maltner, a farmer and currently the farm supervisor at Miraval in Austin. I had the absolute pleasure of getting to know him during my last day at Miraval Austin and knew immediately this was someone I wanted to bring on the show. He grew up on a farm, attended A&M University, and was single-handedly responsible for starting their biodynamic farming program. He has been involved in the 4-H program and has also been an agricultural and natural resources extension agent for Yoakum County. So I wanted to bring him on the show just to um, for you guys to get to know him and also for him to explain a little bit about the differences between organic, conventional, and biodynamic farming. I think he is a resource that you guys are all going to love. So I'd like to welcome him to the show. Bubba, thank you so much for being here and welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Glad to be here. Oh, well, we're so excited. I'm so excited to have you. I felt like I learned so much on our farm tour in Austin. And I felt like you had so many amazing takeaways. You were so humble and just really matter of fact uh, about you know the differences in farming and how that might work for some people and not for others. And, and you had some great tips and tools for people, um, for all of us on the tour about how to source our produce and what to look for. So I want everyone to get to know you. And we're going to start with uh, a few questions. Uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about your childhood and growing up on a farm? Okay, Buck. Well, uh, I grew up in extremely rural uh, Mississippi, um, the, the Delta region of Mississippi, so right on the Mississippi River. I grew up on about a 80-acre sugar and rice farm. Um, the farm has had been in my uh, with my kinfolk for probably the late 1700s, early 1800s. Um, um, yeah, so that's that's what how I grew up. So when you were little, were you working the farm and going to school, or how how did that work? Well, because we were in such a rural area, there was no uh, public schools nearby. The nearest public school was about an hour and a half away, and they did not provide bus transportation. So I was homeschooled, and I the, my earliest memories are working on the farm with my pa. Um, I remember there was a specific photo. I think I was probably about four or five years old, and I was uh, on the tractor with my pa helping uh, uh, plant rice. So I've I've always done it since I was, you know, itty bitty. Wow. So would you, you know, it's funny. I, I sometimes watch the Pioneer Woman on the Food Network because I like her recipes. Yes, and her whole family is up and at them, out the door. Everybody helps. They come back in for lunch and they go back out. I mean, did, was it just you? Did you have siblings? What What was it like day to day? No, it was just, um, I'm a... I was only young, and so I had no siblings. Uh, it was just me, my mom, my pa. We would get up early. Um, my we had some chickens, and uh, we had a little garden, and so we would tend to those in the morning. And then my pa and I would go out in the field. Uh, we would work pretty much until you know late afternoon, and then we'd come back to the house. Uh, my mom would have lunch, and so we set up for us. We would have lunch, uh, take a little bit of break, maybe about an hour, hour and a half. And then head back out into the field and pretty much work until it got dark and then came back in. So it was it was a very set routine. But farming is, you know, 24 
hours a day, seven days a week. There's always something going on. Even when you're um, as prepared as you can be, there's always something that has to be done on a farm. What are some of those like day-to-day activities or things that, I mean, the things that you wouldn't normally expect to happen or maybe like, you know, what were like problems you dealt with? Well, because we grew up in the Delta, it was all bayou country. So lots of water, um, you know, very swampy. So on our farm, we actually had any piece of dry land was actually uh, constructed using levees and dikes. And so we actually had to run diesel pumps to pump the water out of our farmland so that we would have dry enough conditions. Because even with rice, you have to have a, a lot of water. You basically flood the field, but we had too much water. So our biggest issue is unexpectedly our diesel pump would go down and our field would start to flood. So we would have to go out there, you know, at all times at night, work on the diesel pump, get it running again. So water was an issue for us. Most places it's not enough, but where we grew up, it was too much. It's funny now that you're a biodynamic farmer, because do you think now looking at your family farm, it's set out to grow what you were growing or like, would there be anything that would grow on it now naturally? Naturally, I would say no. I mean, at Miraval, uh, we we strive to be biodynamic in our practices, uh, working with nature as opposed to working against it. But back where I grew up, you pretty much had to work against nature because if you let nature take control and it went back to its natural state, it would be swamped. That that would be it. So when you were growing up, did did you always want to be a farmer because you grew up a farmer or, you know, how did, how did you find yourself at A&M? Um, I actually uh, went to A&M because, and I studied agriculture at A&M with the intention of returning back to my farm and using some of that uh, new knowledge to help with our farming practices. I've always wanted to be a, you know, growing up on a farm, that's all I ever knew. And even so, even with the education that I've had and the experiences I had have now, everything I've always done um, has always been agriculture. So that's, I had no question in my mind that I wanted to do farming or at least stay in the field of agriculture. Yeah. So what kind, what colleges, when you were applying, when you were a youngster and applying to to school, what colleges were you looking at attending? Like what, Uh, what have the biggest agriculture programs? Definitely Texas A&M. Um, I also looked at the University of Arizona. I looked at University of South Carolina and Mississippi State. Uh, and in the end, I went to I just I went to A&M. Yeah. What What was their program like when you first got there, and what were some of the classes you were taking? At A&M. Yeah. Uh, well, I I went into uh, the wildlife and fishery science department, and my major was aquaculture, so fish farming. So I took a lot of courses on on just on fishery science, uh, learning about uh, aquaculture practices, fish farming, and the idea was Mississippi is the number one producer of catfish in the United States, and because we had uh, we lived in the bayou and had a lot of water. It, it's a natural area to grow fish. And so that was my intention was to learn about aquaculture and then to convert part of our family farm into a fish farm. But I just didn't understand the capital investment that goes with that. It's very expensive to get it started. 
and it, it just wasn't practical for our farming uh, for my family. Yeah, what is it? What does it look like to start a fish farm, and what is you know? Because there's so much farmed fish out there available at restaurants, at grocery stores, and I know sometimes it's, they have a bad reputation because of you know chemicals used. What are what are some of the practices that you learned about, and um, like how would it have worked if you wanted to convert part of your farm? Well, the biggest expense would be building um, the levees and the dikes to control the uh, the ponds. So you would you would build these ponds that were probably minimum size of like an Olympic uh, size swimming pool, and then they can get bigger at that. And then you need equipment because. Uh, the water can't be stagnant, so you need something to aerate the water. And they're usually giant, like I would describe them as like paddle wheels. And mm-hmm. and they they rot they rotate and add oxygen into the water. But the the interesting thing about aquaculture that a, a lot of people probably don't realize is there's very few USDA United States Department of Agriculture um, approved chemicals that you could actually use with fish. Um, basically. The only things that are legally allowed to use uh, with a, a fish farm is salt and um, your feed. There's you can't add. We're like in uh, a lot of like beef cattle and uh, swine and poultry. You can add a lot of different things like antibiotics and things like that. You cannot do that with aquaculture in the United States, at least. So, would you say a good tip would be if people can't afford wild fish? to source farmed fish from the United States? Yes, yes, because in the United States, it's highly regulated. So if you get farmed fish from the United States, it's pretty healthy. You have to be careful because a lot of, like if you go to a typical grocery store, a lot of what you find at a grocery store is sourced from um, Asia and some of it from South America, but mainly from Asia. And they don't have the same regulations as they do here. So you're never sure what you get in your end product or whatever fish you end up buying. And that kind of that, yeah, that idea is what kind of brought me to uh, the practices we do at Miraval with trying to strive for biodynamics with the same idea that uh, we try to provide our guests at Miraval with food that they know is safe, that hasn't been, um, you know, altered through chemicals or pesticides or insecticides or herbicides. So that's kind of, kind of how I, kind of gravitated to what I what we do now at Miraval. Yeah, so you were at A&M and Yes, ma'am. Tell me about starting you were taking these classes and learning about starting a farm, a fishery farm and you decided I'm going to get into biodynamic farming. It's kind of convoluted. Um I was a student worker um at A&M, so I was working for the horticulture department and I was working with a professor and I was one of, I was his TA, his teaching assistant for a class where, uh, the, it was like introduction to small farming. And so the lab portion of the, of the class, each student had a row in a field where they had to plant and maintain and then harvest um, a variety of different crops. But a lot of the students started asking about, um, organic, sustainable, regenerative and biodynamic farming practices. And that was something we didn't really focus on. So I talked to my professor and I said, well, can we just like do a big field next to the classroom lab field and just try start 
just try, start, you know, some different biodynamic practices, different organic practices and sustainable practices. And uh, so that's how it ended up. It started out just kind of like a little experiment. And then we had a lot of students that were interested. So then we had students volunteering to maintain the field. And then uh, in the end, we ended up creating what we named uh, Howdy Farm. And it was it's A&M's first and still operating sustainable uh, farm on campus. And uh, it grew from that little field, which was probably under an acre, to by the time I left, I was there probably about four, maybe five years. And when I left um, the my job there at A&M, we were pushing... I think between six and eight acres. It's phenomenal. So out of the, out of pure curiosity, you guys decided to start start this plot of land and start your sustainable biodynamic farm and people were doing it on a volunteer basis. No one was being paid. Yeah, yeah. They were all just students, uh, undergraduate students, a handful of graduate students that had a passion for that kind of agriculture and a curiosity for, for it for it. So it was all volunteer basis. Um, we didn't have a lot of support from the university in, in the beginning. It was kind of viewed A and M, great ag university, but historically they've been focused on traditional and conventional and large scale agriculture. And so what we were doing was very different, and it was kind of viewed as like a fad. They didn't think organic farming, sustainable <laughs> farming, biodynamics was something that that would last. But as as our culture in the United States has grown, I think more people are interested in having healthy food and knowing where the food sources come from. And so after a while, we started to get support, uh, but we had to support ourselves. And so what we did in the beginning is we did uh, uh, farmer's markets. We would go down to Houston to actually the largest farmer's market in Houston, and we would sell our, our, our crops down there. And that was our main source of income. So we could go back, buy seed or buy equipment or, you know, anything that we needed. And then we also started a CSA or community supported agriculture, which is basically like a monthly uh, subscription to vegetables. So a person would uh, pay up front for, uh, you know, so many weeks of vegetables. And then each week we would harvest and we would set up right on the edge of our farm um, for a delivery date, you know, each week. And then the people that signed up would come and they would pick up a basket of the uh, produce that's in season that at that time. And then throughout the growing season, of course, the crops would change, you know, as the seasons changed. So the people that would um, come to the CSA and pick up their stuff always had a different rotating selection of different types of vegetables. And those, the CSA and the farmer's market, those were the two main sources of our of our income. And then eventually the university gave the horticulture department very, very became very supportive of us and actually uh, kind of budgeted some money so we could actually hire student workers that would work, you know, 15, 20 hours a week. Um, but it helped. It was, it was a long journey, but um, um, it was well worth it. Wow. What were some of the things that you were growing there? And what do you remember the first crop that you planted? Yeah, actually, the first crop that we planted was kale. Um, and we did, because uh, it was in the cold season, kind of about this time of year. So we had a lot of the winter crops. So broccoli and cabbage, kale, carrots, radishes, beets, uh, 
kohlrabi, Swiss chard. So a lot of those cool season crops were the first crops that we had. I love those deep leafy greens and all of yeah. the cruciferous vegetables. So good for you. Yeah, man. So- yeah. I will talk about the same practices that I'm doing now at Miraval apply in general to what we general agriculture. And so I'll talk uh, about what we're doing now uh, at Miraval, uh, what we have in our field right now. So we plant our, our cool season crops. Typically, a lot of the crops you actually start in a greenhouse. Um, so you'll start You'll seed them out in a greenhouse. You'll wait until they get a little bit bigger uh, before you plant them in the field. And the main reason for that is you have a higher success rate of germination and then the plant actually growing. A lot of plants, if you direct seed, so if you plant the seed right directly into the field, you'll have a low germination rate. And then a lot of what does grow tends to um, not produce as well. and so you start in the greenhouse and then you transplant into the field. And so in, at our farm um, in Miraval right now, we have our, our winter crops. We actually just brought out our onions and our leeks and our chives from the greenhouse and we planted those in the field. And so what you do is you transition. You know the season's going to last for us in central Texas. It'll last until probably late February, early March. And then in late February, early March, you'll have to transition to a new set of crops because the temperatures are getting warmer, you're getting more daylight. And so what you do to prepare for that is you plant more of those warmer season crops in the greenhouse. And so when it's time to transition, you pull those from the greenhouse and put those in the field. So you're always kind of going, you always have to be a step ahead of what the weather conditions are going to be and the, and, and the temperatures are going to be. So you always want to have your next set of plants um, going already. So that way there's not a lag in what you have in the field. So can you explain for everyone listening the difference differences you see between conventional farming, organic farming, biodynamic farming, regenerative farming? I mean, there are so many terms and bu- buzzwords out there. Are there specific ones that shoppers should be looking for? And can you just explain the differences for everyone? Okay, so traditional or conventional farming usually will incorporate the use of um, chemical applications. So whether that's um, herbicides to control your weed population or um, um, different kinds of insecticides to control the insect population, and not all of it's bad. And, 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 and on a large scale, uh, when you're doing large-scale agriculture, it's almost a, a must to have to be able to control things through chemicals applications. What differs when you move into organic farming is you can still use chemicals or spray applications in organic farming. It just has to be an organic sourced or organic certified application. So a lot of people automatically, when they see that USD label, uh, USDA label that says certified organic, a lot of people automatically think it's um, chemical or application-free produce or vegetables, but that's not the case. You can still spray um, if you're doing organic farming. You just have, you're just limited on what you can use. It's plant-based, plant-based chemicals instead of the synthetic chemicals that you would see in conventional agriculture. So when you move away from organic and you move into biodynamic, biodynamic is you're trying to be as self-sufficient as possible. So you're trying to eliminate 
any outside inputs that you bring into your farm. And a lot of times that in, is your chemical applications. So you don't want to buy, whether it's an organic um, chemical, you don't want to have to buy something to bring from the outside into your farm. You want your farm to provide everything that you need. And so the big practice in, in um, I guess an easy way to sum up the general idea of biodynamic farming is you're working with nature as opposed to trying to control nature or exclude nature from your uh, farming. And so the practices are very different in biodynamic farming. Uh, you accept the fact that you have weeds on your farm. <laughs> you, <laughs> You're you like, accept, they're going to grow. <laughs> yes, they're going to grow. But the, the, in biodynamic, you, the, the question is, you know they're going to grow, but you ask yourself, how can you use or control these weeds without using any sort of outside input? So you're trying to figure out ways to con control and use the weeds um, on your property. And another big um, part of farming that's always an issue besides weeds is insect, insect pressure. And so in a conventional farm, you would spray for your insects to control the population. You can do the same in organic farming. You're just using organic-based um, um, organic spray applications. And then in biodynamics, you're trying to figure out, okay, nature normally provides us with insects. So how can we use those insects to our benefit? And um, so it's, it's a different train of thought when you're thinking biodynamic farming. I love it. And it, I saw it on the tour at Miraval with you. And um, first of all, it was an amazing tour and you're, you're so educated and it's obvious that you grew up on a farm, but it's really... It's, it's the practices you guys have in place there and what I got to see firsthand on a biodynamic farm. I mean, I was so impressed. Can you talk about some of the practices that you guys are using on your biodynamic farm to control for insects, to control for weeds? Like, what does it look like? If, if you can explain, like, explain the tour almost of walk me through your farm and what, what are the things that you guys have on the farm and, and what are you using to your advantage? Cause it was, I mean, it was like the circle of life there it was beautiful. <laughs> yeah. I, I appreciate it. Uh, thank you. Um, yeah. It's, it's interesting because Miraval, um, our philosophy is, is Mir Miraval is life in balance. And that actually translate into our farming practice. There is a balance between, nature when we farm. So um, there is life and balance even at our farm. And so um, our, our biggest issues, of course, are weeds and insects. And so how we control our insects without having to use any kind of chemical application is we work with nature. So nature provides us with different types of plants that naturally attract insects. And a good example is lavender. Um, and I think I talked to you about lavender on our farm. So lavender has a very, a very strong fragrance, um, very attractive to insects. It releases these oils that releases these smells, these uh, fragrances. And so insects will naturally be attracted to it. And so what we end up doing is we plant lavender around our fields. So it attracts the insects and it attracts both beneficial, beneficial insects, so the good insects, and then it also provide, uh, attracts the pest insects or the bad insects. And these are the insects that would normally go after our crops and start eating on our crops. But they hit the lavender first uh, because it's more attractive to them. 
And so both the good and the bad insects land on the lavender plant. And so the good insects end up eating the bad insects. So the good insects are like ladybugs or praying mantis, uh, assassin bugs. So those insects feed off of other insects. So they'll eat the bad insects. So that's a way that we can control our insect population. And then if the insects move into our field, what we do in our field is we plant other, we'll plant our crops. So like right now in our field, we have uh, kale, um, some lettuces and cabbages, broccoli and cauliflower. So in between those plants, we actually plant another uh, different kind of um, attractive plant. And, and currently in our field, we have marigolds. Marigolds are very similar to lavender and they're very fragrant. Just a light breeze will re- uh, rustle the leaves on the plant and it releases these um, very, very strong, I guess, smells or aromas for, for the insects. So the insects that make it past the lavender, they hit the marigolds before they hit our crop because the marigolds are more attractive to them. And then that becomes a second place where the beneficial insects can feed on the pest insects. So it's working with nature. Nature provides us with these plants that naturally attract insects. Nature provides us with insects, both good and bad. So biodynamics says, okay, how can we use all of this together um, in a way that we're not having to apply any sort of chemical application? And so we understand that we're not going to control our insect population 100%. So we do have some insect damage on our crops, but it's minimal um, and it's a trade-off we're willing to live with. We're okay with having some insect damage, knowing in the end that we're not having to do any kind of um, spray application to control them. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, no, it was it was beautiful to see. And it looked like you guys had created a lavender fence around the outside of your crops and then little pops of orange in between all the kale plants that you had, you know, had planted in your field. And if you were going to the farmer's market, Bubba, what questions would you ask some of these farmers? Okay, so um, it depends on the farmer's market. Each farmer's market has their own set of rules. There are markets out there where people that are selling can actually sell things that they are not growing on their property. So they they source it out from somewhere else and then they sell it. So as a consumer, that would be the first thing I would ask before you buy anything is, is this coming from your own farm? If it is coming from your own farm, then um, the, the farmer that's selling it, you can start asking questions about how they grow their crop. If they're using any kind of chemical application, is it organic? Is it, um, is it sustainable? And I would say it doesn't have to be organic. Organic is just a label. It, it, it encompasses a set of practices where it's saying, okay, we're not using these kind of synthetic chemicals, but it can be sprayed. And you do tend to pay more if it's organic, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a better product in the end. Um, I think the more important thing is to connect with your farmer at the farmer's market and talk to them about their practices, how how are they getting their seed? Are they producing their own seed? Are they ordering seed from an outside source? Is their seed source organic or or is it conventional? Um, and then ask them about ask them about you know things that you would probably want to know. Like, are they spraying anything? Um, how are they controlling their insect population? Uh, 
what are their what are their harvesting practices? Are they pro- harvesting by hand? Or is it is it mechanized? Are they using implements to harvest? And then typically on a farmer's market, a lot of it is done by hand. And so the prices that you may see at a farmer's market may be a little higher than at a grocery store. And that's mainly because it's more labor intensive if you're doing everything by hand. And the other big benefit of shopping at a farmer's market versus um, a traditional grocery store is is you're supporting your local community. There are farmers in your community that that are, are... are working, are planting, are harvesting. And by going to a market, you're supporting your own community. I love that. What uh, When it comes to seeds, because you mentioned they're harvesting their own seeds or they're purchasing seeds. What are, what are farmers looking for when they're purchasing seeds if they're not harvesting it themselves? Okay. And, and that's a big part of biodynamics. And biodynamics says that you want to try to eliminate outside inputs. So Seed source is a big outside input. So you, if you don't have the seed, if it's not practical for you to, to harvest your own seed, then of course you're going to have to order seed from the outside and that kind of breaks the biodynamic principle there. But it, it's very common. I mean, not, not a lot of people do biodynamic farming. So when you are, when, as me as a farmer, when I try to source seed, I try to source seed for small companies. And so... These companies, that's all they do is is grow seed. And they provide a variety. Usually, these smaller companies have a very good uh, selection of organic seeds. And organic seeds are just seeds that haven't been treated. If you buy conventional seed, um, the majority of the seed that you buy has been treated. And so, it's been treated to prevent uh, the growth of fungus uh, is the the main thing because seeds need... um, they need moisture, but if you have too much moisture, too much humidity, then it um, spurs the growth of different kinds of mold and fungus. And so a lot of conventional seed is actually treated to prevent that. And so, so is, is it um, treated with a chemical like a pesticide or is it this? We're not talking yeah, about GMO. No, no, not GMO. It's treated with an application, a chemical application. Got and it. actually, a lot, of, a lot of the treat, yeah, yeah, fungicide. And so a lot of those treated seeds, you actually have to handle with gloves just because you don't want those chemicals on you. And so the idea in my mind and in biodynamic farming is why would, if if it's possible that you can source your own seed, that's better. Because why would you want to have to plant something that you can't even touch with your own bare hands safely? Um, And that translates into what you're growing. Are you growing something? That is truly safe. And it is. I mean, uh, a lot of conventional seed that has been treated is safe. But when you're talking about small-scale farming where you're handling everything and you're not using machinery to plant your stuff, it's a question. Like, if, if it's possible to find something that hasn't been treated, I think it's a better option to go with. Yeah, definitely. So when you look at the differences between conventional, organic, and biodynamic farming when it comes to soil and soil health, what are the differences? Well, um, and luckily, it's, it's been changing. I would say in the past 15, 20 years, conventional farmers are really understanding the value of soil health. And this even goes back to my farm back home and even large-scale industrial farming. People are understanding that Everything starts with your soil, and you want to you want to do everything you can in your practice 
to keep that soil healthy. And that even applies in conventional farming. But with sustainable or regenerative farming, you kind of look even closer at your soil and say, what are the practices that I can do in my farming that would actually benefit the soil um, as opposed to just, you know, keeping the soil as is. So you're trying to build that organic layer back into your soil with your farming practices. And a lot of the way you do that is through uh, crop rotation is a common one. So you're not planting the same thing over and over and over. And they do that even in conventional farming. They rotate rotate crops. And that's been that's been something that's picked up probably in the past 15, 20 years across all different kinds of farming is understanding the need to rotate your crops. Um, another big thing that you'll see in sustainable I'm stop you. farming... Sorry, I'm going to stop okay, you for I'm a second. Sorry. We're rotating we're rotating crops because specific crops pull certain things from the soil and you don't want to strip it or why? Yeah, um, one thing is certain crops pull a lot of nutrients out of soil. Um, and like tobacco is one, um, tomatoes are another one that where they just pull a lot of the resources out of the soil. So you don't want to keep growing the same thing over and over because it depletes the nutrients in the soil. And the other main reason that you're rotating your crops is disease. Um, there's a lot of uh, diseases that affect crops that are soil-based, soil-borne diseases. And so if you rotate the crops, it breaks the host plant from being able, being attacked by um, the soil diseases, uh, viruses, um, different kinds of funguses that reside in the soil. So, and if you rotate your crops and you break that cycle, then it allows you to grow things without having to rely so much on herbicides, uh, not herbicides, but um, different kinds of fungicides um, that will prevent, you know, crop damage. So if you're rotating, so one year you're planting tomatoes. So the next year you'll plant something different. Maybe you'll plant onions in that place instead of tomatoes again. So if, it allows you to plant different crops without having to rely on having to use kind of fungicide applications to treat the soil diseases because you're breaking the cycle of what crop you're planting in that same field. Got it. So how does that work on a biodynamic farm or an organic farm for that matter? How are you using practices to maintain soil health or increase it? Okay, so um, the typical, the easiest way or the most common way is to plant usually a legume. So legumes are, are a class of plants that are, are nitrogen fixers. So they fix they put nitrogen back into the soil. And nitrogen is, is probably the, the biggest um, component that is pulled out of the soil when you're growing a crop. So you grow your crop, say one year you have okra um, during the summer. So when the season is over for okra, you'll plant a legume, whether it's um, you know different kinds of like clovers or soy is a really good one. Um, and then you let that grow. And so as that plant is growing where you used to have your okra, it's putting nutrients back in the soil. And then what you can do after that is to even add further organic matter is you'll go over that okra or where that okra was. So now you have soy there. So you'll go over where that soy is and you'll actually... Um, till it into the soil. So it adds that um, organic material from the soy back into the soil. Um, that's a very common practice that you see in biodynamic or sustainable farming. 
um, and even in organic farming too. Organic and sustainable, um, a lot of people use interchangeably because a lot of their practices are are very similar. What are the main differences between organic and, and sustainable and how is sustainable different from regenerative or biodynamic? Um, or how are they different? Okay. Um, organic actually is probably, um, it's more of a label if anything else. Um, a lot of the practices that you're doing in organic fall under sustainable, um, but you just, in a sustainable farm, you're just not certified as organic. But things as we're generating the soil, using plants that naturally fix nitrogen, those go both ways between organic and sustainable. It's a sustainable practice. Um, it's just, you, if you're sustainable, you may not be certified by the USDA as organic, but it's still a practice that um, happens with both. And it also happens with biodynamic. The biggest difference between all three types of farming, organic, sustainable, and biodynamic, is how much you're working with nature um, and what you naturally have on your property. Biodynamic being the best. Yeah, biodynamic would be the most specific where you are um, trying to work as much as you can with what nature normally provides you on your property. So let's talk about how at Miraval, you sort of have this circle of life when it comes to food and fertilizer and bees. If, if you can just give everyone the picture of what the farm looks like and how it all circles to the resort and the hotel and how it comes back to you, because I thought that was pretty impressive. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what we do at Miraval, um, we try to provide our guests with um, a balance in their life. Um, and that balance can be whether you're taking programming in, in um, like yoga or fitness, um, whether you're doing things that are, are um, outdoor adventure, you know, hiking, things like that. All of those things build back into creating a balance in your life, releasing that stress. And what we do at the farm and what we view at the farm is, is the component of nutrition. So what you put in your body is also what adds that balance to your life. And so what we, our practices we choose to follow are we try to strive to be as biodynamic as possible because we believe that provides you with um, um, food that is the most healthiest. And so what we do um, in biodynamics is there's an idea of kind of like I like to call it like uh, like a closed circuit loop, like a little loop that um, where everything kind of flows back to the farm. And so a good example of this would be our produce and our chickens. So everything we grow on the farm goes to the main restaurant, the main kitchen on property. And while we're a small farm, we can't provide everything, but everything we do provide, um, our chefs use as much as possible. So we we grow things um, in our field, we harvest it and we deliver it to the restaurant. And then, so our chefs will use those, uh, those products. And so say we're growing uh, carrots and we bring carrots up to uh, the restaurant. Well, the, the chefs don't need the green leafy tops of the carrots. So they cut that off, kind of set it aside. And same with, you know, any of our other products, you know, maybe we bring up um, some uh, kale. Well, they may not use all of the kale pieces. Maybe some have some insect damage that we didn't notice. So they set that aside too. So every day we go up there, we collect this kitchen scrap compost um, and we bring it down back to the farm and we feed it to our chickens. So the chickens eat all that kitchen scrap. 
and then our chickens lay eggs, and then the eggs go back up to the restaurant, and they're used for our guests for their meal preparations and different kinds of egg dishes or breakfast. And so, in turn, back down to our farm where the chickens are, our bedding in our chicken coop is just a really light, fine pine shaving. And then, of course, the chickens are going to poop into the shavings in our coop. Um, and then about every three to four months, we'll rake all that material out, all that um, chicken manure and all that pine shaving. And that compost of that uh, pine shaving and chicken manure eventually goes back into our field as our fertilizer. And then so our fertilizer provides us with good nutrition and good nutrients. And so then it allows us to grow more crops. Um, and so that's our little closed circuit. And if, if I if I break it down, it's basically vegetables to kitchen, kitchen scraps to chicken, chickens lay eggs, eggs back to restaurant, chickens poop, poop comes out, goes into our field, grows more crops. So that's our little closed loop circuit. And that's that's a big component of biodynamics where you're trying to eliminate those outside inputs. So the, our practices that we're doing at Miraval allows us to eliminate the need to buy like chemical fertilizers to bring in because our chickens are providing it for us. It allows us to limit the, um, the outside feed sources for our chickens. We do supplement their feed uh, with organic grain, but all that compost material or from the kitchen, those chick- kitchen scraps, um, help feed our chickens. And so it eliminates us to have to buy large quantities of, of supplemental feed for them. That's great. So what about, what about the other side of your farm? So I'm picturing the farm in my, in my head. We walked onto the farm. The chickens were to the left. You had rows of vegetables right in the middle. And then across the field, you had big trees and even further it seemed like it was almost across a river or like a valley. You had beehives and you're right off of a river. So how are you using, can you explain how you're using the river and the bees and how you're planting those trees and what those were to all sort of work together on the right side of your farm? Yeah. Yeah. So on the right side of our farm, we have an area where we have some small fruit trees. We have some pecan trees. Um, we have some figs and some peaches. And so in this area, we don't have any of our, our, our actually row crops in there. It's all just our trees, our little orchard area. But this area is a natural, um, a natural area where the water flows from the higher elevation across this field where the trees are down into the creek that's the um, south border of our farm. And so what we do there is looking at biodynamic practices, we say, well, nature provides us with this natural land slope, um, but nature also provides us with precipitation. And so when it rains, the water all flows across this field down into this, to, uh, the creek. So how can we use what nature provides us with? And so what we end up doing is we build these kind of small hills, little berms, and we plant our trees on the hills. And so when the water, when the precipitation comes and the rain flows across the field, it catches a little bit of that water and that irrigates our trees. And but it doesn't we're not damming the water, we're not building levees or dike systems. So the water doesn't just stay in our field. We use what we capture just enough for irrigation, and then the rest of the water still can naturally flow down into the creek. And that's a big, a big biodynamic practice is 
we're working with what nature provides us, um, as opposed to trying to control nature and damming everything up and just, you know, with levees or little dikes uh, controlling all the water. Uh, we still allow the water to do its natural flow into the, the creek. Um, the bees are also on that side. And the way the hives are set up, the opening for the hives face directly to our farm. So when the bees come out and forage, the first thing that they hit is our field. So they help with our pollination. Um, we have some wildflower beds with native wildflowers. So that's attractive for them too. And all of this pollen that they're picking up in turn goes back into the hive and provides our beekeeper at Miraval with his source of honey. Wow. Let's talk about your orchard. Once you plant those trees, those trees are there for good, right? So uh, the fruit trees will produce seasonally, like peaches. Um, you're talking about um, early spring. And they're all young right now, so nothing's producing. But like a lot of the fruit trees will produce in the springtime. And then um, the, the rest of the year, they're just growing. Um, pecans, uh, well, they, the, the pecan trees will produce also. But their, their um, actual production of the pecan nut will be um, longer than what you would have with your fruit trees. So the pecans will actually produce into the summer and then typically into the fall is when pecans are harvested, where the fruit trees would be during the spring. But they will stay there. Um, they will grow. Um, you know, in a typical pecan orchard, you're looking at trees that can be, you know, 10, 15, sometimes even 20 years old and older. Uh, fruit trees are younger. They produce more when they're a little bit younger than a than like a nut tree, like a pecan or even like walnuts. They tend to be older trees uh, where they where they hit their maximum production rate. So in my perfect world, I live on an acre of land. I plant a few uh, fruit trees, like maybe citrus. I love a lemon tree or a lime tree. I'd love to have my own little rows of produce, a couple of chickens. When If I were to go out, I live in California. If I were to go out and start my own little farm, in a, in a biodynamic way, how am I choosing what to plant and how to work with like the my own climate and soil? Okay. The first thing before you do any kind of planning is to know what your soil is providing you naturally. Um, and so the easiest way to do that is to reach out to your local extension office. Every state has an extension, an extension program. And so these are the people that can help you test your soil. So you know what you're lacking in your soil and you know what you have in your soil. And then the things that are lacking, you can do practices like I talked about where you're planting nitrogen-fixing legume plants. So, you know, soys or different types of clovers um, to get that nutrients back into your soil. And then you can start planting what kind of crops work in the area that you're living in. So... And, and a great way to find that information out is to hit your farmer's markets because those are all local sellers. So they, they can tell you, you know, what works well in your, in your area to grow. And I would start out small. Um, a lot of people end up overplanting or, or planting too much. And it becomes an issue of trying to maintain the crops once they start growing. Um, so it's, it's best to start out small, you know, get your feet wet. So that you can kind of understand the life cycle of the plant, how the plant changes over the course of the season, 
Um, and then you can figure out, you know, when's the best time to harvest. Um, and that's what I would do. I would start out small. Um, and then it all depends on where you live. You know, different crops grow in different areas, um, different times of the year. Uh, like a lot of our winter crops that we're growing here now would never be able to grow in the winter in like North Dakota. Um, but then what grows up there in the summer, we may never be able to plant down here in Texas just because it's so hot. So we're uh, you need to find out what works well in your area and then just kind of start off small. Like what's small? Yeah, and I get that question a lot from guests that come down to our, our farm tour at Miraval. A lot of them are interested in trying to do um, on a small scale what we're doing at the farm back at their own property. And that could be anything from an apartment to a suburban household to, you know, small acreage farming. So when I'm talking small, I'm, I'm thinking of maybe just pick a couple plants, a couple different things that you know you like to eat, whether that's, you know, tomatoes, uh, whether it's kale, you know, just pick a couple things that you know you'll eat, that you enjoy um, having fresh, and then go with it. Um, a, a good thing about herbs is you can do those in little pots. You don't need to have um, an actual um, bed in your soil or even a raised bed to grow a lot of the herbs. You can do, do those in little containers. And so if you're in an apartment or a condo where you don't have land, you can still grow these small herbs in, in pots and you know have them on your windowsill, maybe have them on your porch. Um, and that's what, that's what I try to do, you know, cause my biggest, my biggest pleasure for working with Miraval is introducing guests to the idea of farming and, and explaining how we farm at Miraval. But I want guests to be able to take those ideas and apply it to their own life back home. Um, and that's why I think when you start out small, just a hand, you know, just maybe two or three, uh, uh crops that, you know, you enjoy eating. And, and start with that. I love it. What are some crops? Let's say if I'm, I'm going to have a raised bed and I'm going to put three crops in it. Would you pick something? And maybe it's something that I love to eat, but what are some crops that don't die that I can't mess up? <laughs> uh, tomatoes are a big one. Um, they're basically weeds. They are very hardy. Um, they can take a lot of neglect. So if you're not watering them regularly, you're not pruning them regularly. They'll still produce. Um, that's an easy one. Um, another good one, uh, if you're in a cooler climate, are a lot of uh, the cruciferous crops. Um, you know, broccoli, uh, cauliflower. Those are pretty low maintenance also. Um, if you have cooler weather. Um, other, if you start moving into like squashes and, and uh, melons, you need a lot of space, and the, they are very, very susceptible to insect, uh, insects and to um, soil-based or soil-borne diseases. So a lot of viruses and funguses attack melons and squashes. So I would kind of, and they need a lot of space. So I would, I would move away from those. But tomatoes are a good one to start with for pretty much anyone. You got to start somewhere, right? Yeah, and that's the good. That's the that's the thing about farming. I mean, you can know as much as you want about farming, but it's always trial and error. And so, I would say to you know people is to don't be intimidated. Just try it. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But you'll learn things through your failures of farming. 
And there's always failures in farming, you know, because you're working with nature, you're working with precipitation and sunlight. None of that's the same every day. It's not black and white. Farming is a very gray area. So what you learn, you can try for the next season. And that's the great thing about farming is there are multiple seasons. So you can always have different types of crops. Um, If something didn't work out in the summer, okay, now we're moving into the fall and the winter. So now we're going to work with a completely different set of plants. So uh, you can kind of basically start over again. Um, It's not like you start one thing in the year and if it doesn't work, you have no opportunity to try again. Each season changes. So each crop can change the season. So it gives you multiple times of the year to, to learn about farming. And it's a learning process. When you see something grow, um, when you're working with the soil, when you're pruning, all of those things you'll learn by doing. And so I would tell people, don't be intimidated. Just try it. I love it. Well, I definitely want my son, Sebastian, to get his hands dirty too. So we will, we will <laughs> be giving it a try. Um, what are some of your favorite resources for people out there who want to get started with farming? Well, the easiest way to find out about what works in your area, uh, you know, different crops, um, to find out in general what soil type exists in your area is every state in the United States has a land-grant-based university. So these are the ag schools. So in Texas, it's Texas A&M. In California, it's UC Davis. So all of them have very good resources. So if you just do a Google search of the ag universities in your state, you can pull up a wealth of information from different universities that will tell you you know, what plants work, what the typical soil type is, even what what time of the year um, to plant different crops. And then it'll tell you all about the diseases that are associated with different crops. It'll tell you where you can get your seed sources from. Um, All of that is all available through the the land-grant universities. That's that's why those universities were established. They were established um, typically back in the 1800s. Um, when agriculture was much more prominent in the United States, these these uh, land grant universities were established to help with the the particular state's farming practices and agriculture practices. So that's even for me down at Mirabal, when I have questions that I'm unsure of, I just get on you know the land grant university website and I'll read about you know the farming practices or the planting practices for a specific crop. Um, there's a wealth of knowledge out there. Awesome. Well, you're a wealth of knowledge, Bubba. We really, really appreciate you coming on the show. I know all the listeners, I'm sure, are taking notes and excited to know everything that you know, or at least at what you've shared today. So I really appreciate you being on the show and sharing your knowledge. I definitely recommend if anyone gets a chance to head down to Austin to the Miraval property, meet Bubba for yourself, ask him any question you have. He's a wealth of information and super knowledgeable. I love what you're doing, Bubba, and I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. I appreciate everything. Thank you. Yeah. Well, have a good day. I'll definitely be back to visit you next year. And uh, uh, thanks for coming on. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Be Well by Kelly. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Learn more at bewellbykelly.com and follow me on Instagram at bewellbykelly. I would love if you picked up my books, Body Love and Body Love Every Day. 
They're sold on Amazon and at all major booksellers. 